We thought we'd start today off um, talking about a rumour that appeared on Slashdot. Um, Dave, you kindly linked me to it a few days ago. Um, it's regarding the ARM Macs, potentially, that are coming. Um, personally, having read through it, given it some thought, I'm very much in favour of what I'm reading. Um, I don't know where you sit on it, personally. Yeah, so... I'm pretty in favour of it as well. Um, just to kind of briefly cover it, it, it sort of looks like there's a lot within that post that I, I, I think um, I, they talked about it on the Accidental Tech podcast and basically sort of said, yeah, it looks like the post itself is kind of fake. Um, and I'm inclined to agree. I don't think it's necessarily the, the, the literal truth. Um, but if you take the gist of how they're describing the app store and the, the OS itself to work, I think there's a lot in there that's quite interesting. If it were to be real life and this is coming, um, then I think there's a lot in there to like. The sort of general proposal um, is that the app store is mandatory um, in the same sort of way as iOS, um, that the OS manages the, the apps in such a way that they are kind of securely sandboxed um, in the same way as iOS. So, when you remove an app, that's everything removed. Um, drivers are, again, another level of abstraction and kept away and managed by the OS. Um, so I think you're talking about a situation where Mac OS, functionally for a user, becomes the same as iOS in, in terms of how easy it is to install apps um, and how kind of secure and segregated everything is. Um from a developer's perspective, I think there's a lot to like in that in terms of I think this could actually rejuvenate the app store for Mac OS. Uh, yeah, I like the that idea needs some love, doesn't it? it? It does. And I think you could have a situation here where if that is the norm for Mac OS, you know, that the app store is the same sort of view as iOS and, and works in a very similar way, and you get customers and the, the wider user base over into thinking about things in that way and working with the software in that way. I go to the app store first. Um, then I think there could be some benefits for Indies. I, I, I was speaking last week about the idea of developing a Mac OS app. Um, I'd love to be able to do that and then offer my existing customers a bundle. So people who've already bought the iOS version, you know, you want to buy the, the, Mac OS version as well, that's fine. There's a bundle for that and you get a bit of money taken off because you've already supported the iOS app. If if this potential world was real and, and sort of led to those situations, I think there could be some really good benefits for developers. No, definitely. Interesting though, if that were to be the case, presumably sandboxing would be mandatory as yep. it currently is. So, I mean, take how we record this podcast. Um, using audio hijack I, you know that that couldn't exist in the mac app store not in the same way so, no so I, I wonder how that would have an impact on some of the pro level apps that just can't be in the app store for various reasons um even things with um uh, coda made by panic that yep. came out of the mac app store didn't it um maybe a year or two ago um again because sandboxing caused a lot of headaches and i know they they were in conversation with Apple, I think, quite a lot through that process. But nevertheless, 
the decision, the final outcome was to come away from the Mac App Store. So I don't know how some of the pro-level apps would be impacted by that. Um, which leads me on to wondering whether there'd be some kind of, I don't know what you would call it, pro mode, dev mode, some kind of mode that would allow unsigned binaries to be executed. But even with having kind of side-loaded unsigned binaries, um, it's potentially still a problem in terms of how much of the system will be kept away from what they can execute as well. Um, so, you know, you may still have the choice about what you want to install. Um, and I can imagine that there may be a dev mode that kind of brings the restrictions off, but there would be an awful lot of friction in terms of bringing normal users over and saying, right, okay, if you want to use my app, you have to engage developer mode and here's how you do it. And I can imagine there'd be a lot of concern at that point in terms of, um, you know, that's making my computer less secure. Because I think the big sell on this is going to be about your computer becomes so much more secure. You know, everything is kind of managed and a lot of the admin type stuff is sort of kept away from you as a user. You don't have to worry about, you know, the crud that builds up when you install things, the potential for things to be bad actors. Um, so I think although there might be the possibility to to do it, to have stuff sideloaded, I don't think it will be the sort of norm that a normal user goes to do. Um, no, I think you need to have a fairly specific case um, and also you need to be, should probably be quite an advanced user Yeah, to, to be able to even get to that point. Um, interesting that that rumour mentioned there was no terminal. Hmm. Not sure how that one's going to play out. Um, but again, for normal users, if you like that, that. <laughs> Probably what, what not. What do they want the terminal for? Yeah. <laughs> no, again, it's kind of catering for the masses, isn't it? It's easy for us to sit here and be like, oh no, don't take away my terminal or leave, leave my Mac alone, that kind of attitude. Um, but again, I think, you know, like it or not, we probably are the minority. I think so. Um, and, and as a second part that this kind of um, article made me think about was. It almost seems like a, a Back to the Mac Part 2. I don't know if you remember a few years ago they did an event, Apple did an event called Back to the Mac where they uh, took a load of features from iOS yep. or what they learned from iOS and then I think it was Lion uh, that was the actual release that contained it. Um, it almost seems like a, a Part 2 of this. It's almost like they've, they've taken more of what they've learned from iOS, the simplicity and sort of helping the user, protecting the user in a lot of ways as well and bringing that back to the Mac. Um, I wonder whether that's going to blur the lines between an iPad and a Mac slightly. I think if they did it today, and this was, you know, the reboot of the Mac, if you like, then I think the impact on the iPad could be quite strong. Because um, you, you know, conceptually you start to run into that situation of, well, the iPad is just a scaled up phone for a lot of cases, for a lot of apps. Um, yeah. And I think having this view of how computing would work on the Mac might then sort of impact um, the ability to sort of you know, sell the iPad Pro with the keyboard and market it almost like a, a laptop replacement. So, yeah, it, it could be interesting to see how they sort of figure out the, the balance between the two. It starts to become grey, doesn't it? Yeah. 
at the moment they're two very different devices a mac and an ipad to me anyway um and that potentially starts to blur the lines um uh, i i would look forward to it personally i kind of feel like i'm over the ipad i, I don't know where you where you stand <laughs> on on the ipad but i'm i'm just over it completely I, I feel like i want to like it more than the software is enabling me to like it um which is a bit weird i, I do love my ipad for sort of specific uses um it's great for reading on i like reading comics on it um i don't find it very useful for for anything productive and i I know a lot of people find ways of making them useful and working with that um but the amount of times it ends up being easier for me to just boot my mac um have a always very conscious i'm always very conscious as to whether that's just a a comfort zone issue as opposed to a genuine a genuine restriction yeah because you i mean you see people that really do use it don't you yeah my my wife uses hers a lot more than i do um and she boots she boots a a mac um almost out of sufferance these days (laughs) yes there's an element oh right okay i need need to use the keyboard sit down and do the work in this way um, even then, she's got a Bluetooth keyboard that she pairs with her iPads, um, and sometimes that's that's how she works with it as well. So, yeah, it's quite often a case of, I think the iPad is the clean environment. It's the environment that that sort of just works, and for her, the the, the Mac is that environment that um, there's always a little bit more friction going back to. So I, I, I could see that she's kind of moved into whatever this new era of computing is. Just sort of by default, um, you know. <laughs> We're just just a couple of stubborn developers kicking and screaming as the world changes around us. Yeah, yeah, and 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 then for that reason alone, I do think that this this room has got legs in terms of um, of how macOS could develop and probably should be developing. Um, there's a load of downsides if you start going into this world. This is trusted computing and there's a there's a whole host of issues with that you know if apple suddenly decides to start booting apps out of the app store or preventing people from using their machines in certain ways yeah i can see the 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 negatives of that um i kind of trust that the positives overall are going to outweigh those negatives um in the same sort of ways i feel they do on ios um and, you know, for everything else, there are still Linux boxes and open ways of computing that the determined developer can sort of go back to. So it for me, it doesn't feel like the negatives are enough to say, don't do this. I think the positives outweigh it. And, you know, the thing we haven't really discussed, actually, is the fact that... Um maybe these Macs would not have an Intel chip in them. They'd be entirely ARM-based, which yep. uh, would be interesting to see how that how they roll it out, whether they were to start with a, maybe the 12-inch MacBook. Yeah. Because that's you know, the, the low power. It's the one that would make the most sense. I think so, initially, because um, perhaps they couldn't... I don't know how they would stack up against uh, the new MacBook Pros, for example, in performance. So the 12-inch MacBook Air would potentially be the safer bet there to start. Um, hopefully better battery life as well. That would, that would be welcome. Yeah. I think um, the the sort of switching on and off in terms of the, the, the GPU and that side of things as well, I think the ARM chips that we have today, um, 
you know, certainly from like the iPhone 7 sort of generation, we're moving into a stage where they are really quite capable um, for that lower end. So, yeah, I think the, the smallest MacBook's going to be the one that makes the most sense to sort of bring that out on. Um, Definitely. I do love that laptop. Yeah. Every time, every time, every time I look at it, I'm like, oh, I really want one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I've got absolutely no need for one, but every time I see it, I'm like that, that would be so good because the way my setup is at the moment, I've kind of got the iMac, which is where all the power is, and when I'm away from it, I don't, I don't need much. Um, so you could say, why don't you use an iPad? <laughs> having just said, I don't like the iPad very much. Um, yeah. But just having having a Mac environment would would be awesome. Um, because the way I look at it is the the twelve inch MacBook is almost the same size ish as an iPad. Yep. Um, except it's clamshelled, and you open it up, and you've got a full a full Mac environment. So for me, it's like this: that is the ultimate portable device. Yeah. Um, if they can start making battery life improvements, even performance gains with ARM chips, um, plus everything else this rumor has to offer, uh, sounds great. Sounds yeah. absolutely great. And again, in that circumstance, I'm not going to care whether it's got an Intel chip and I can dual boot it with Windows or do whatever on. The, the world has sort of moved way on, kind of from that phase of computing, I, th- I think, overall. I, I think so. I remember when I first bought my uh, my first Mac, um, I, it was such a comfort to know that I could dual boot Windows because coming, coming, coming from Windows... I was very hesitant, like, oh, what if I need X, Y, and Z? The yeah. reality was, I never booted into Windows. No, but it got you so, over there, didn't it? It got you from that world to this world. Um, yeah, just just knowing it was there was enough to make me take the leap, and then only to find out I, I didn't need to be worried about it anyway. Yeah. So I, I've got my suspicions. I, I think you know, back then, the transition was very much, you know, convincing Windows users to use a Mac and having... Um, having the ability to do that and having the Intel chips made a lot of sense to sort of enable that that transition of users and customers. Um, I suspect these days the transition is actually almost more from the iPhone to the Mac. Um, you know, people try an iPhone, love it, and then when they want to replace their computer or they're thinking about a laptop, it's then a case of, well, I really love my iPhone. Let's sort of see what the Macs are all about. And like I'm not, a halo effect. Yeah, and I'm not sure Windows and Windows support even comes into it anymore. I think people's primary computing is very much sort of switched over to mobile. And, you know, it's quite clear from the sales reports and everything else that the, the iPhone is the dominant product that Apple sells. And I think that is the introduction for a hell of a lot of people now that they get the iPhone and then start thinking about other products within the Apple ecosystem. So, again, the idea of kind of making Mac OS quite similar to iOS in terms of how the apps work and the App Store works and that side of things, I think that would make a lot of sense to sort of bring people from one to the other. So, you have been trying your hand at Swift Free, I'm led to understand. Um, yes, yes, I have. I've been programming in Swift 3 for um, quite a while now. Um I've got, um, a, a, in, within my main app, my video mixing app, um, GoVJ, the, that app has got an engine in the middle of it. 
that runs all the video mixing and special effects and everything that it does. Uh, it's a small um, small engine that works with OpenGL, lets me apply shaders to things. Um, and the back end of the summer, I ported that from Objective-C to Swift 3 uh, for a different project. I kind of took the code out of GoVJ, wrapped it all up as a framework, um, and made that work with within Swift 3. Uh, the main goal sort of being to learn Swift 3 better, to turn that code into a framework that I can use in any app, um, and to do some refactoring along the way as well, because things had happened iteratively and there was a bit of crud in the code base itself. (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) Oh, yes, yes. Uh, uh, One of the immediate results that I noticed was that the, the other app that I developed... Um, its memory usage when I when I'd done all of this was a lot lower. Um, some of that I think was the refactoring, and some of that I think is to do with some of the necessary things I had to do within Swift to sort of make sure that um, that things are being declared clearly and explicitly, and that you know you you, you can't um, some of the foibles of Objective C where you can push objects of certain types into other objects. I had to stop doing that. Um, I was mixing things like AV URL assets and AV assets at one stage in the original code. So that all went with the migration of of the core engine to Swift 3. Um, And it seemed to improve things a lot overall. Um, But so now I'm in a situation where I've got the engine in Swift 3. But what I want to do is start development again on the original app. And what I don't want to do is start adding to the original Objective-C code base. Um, So first port of call is that I need to bring that framework back into the main app. And it's possible for me to do that. I can kind of call all of the functions from the Objective-C code that's in the original app. But the problem I'm having is that because I refactored and because that code has moved on, um, I'll end up having to write a lot of new Objective-C code to talk to the framework. Um, okay. So that adds, that adds, that means I'm, I'm walking away from improving the app by, by sort of pulling everything over to Swift 3, and it means I end up in a sort of halfway house of adding Objective-C code to talk to the Swift 3 code. Um, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> sort of an so ad- you're thinking... Go all in on Swift? Pretty much, yeah. Um, so, I mean, you've done some of this with one of your apps, haven't you? You did this in a, a, a kind of slightly different way. Um, yeah. With uh, with Armchair Remote, um, I started... Basically, it was my first kind of proper attempt at iOS development, and I started it in Objective-C. So I, I can kind of uh, relate to what you say about there being a lot of crud in the code base. Um, it's one of those things where you where you look back and uh, you you think what what on earth was I thinking? Because <laughs> yeah, I was kind of in learning mode for some of it. So um, by the time I was ready to migrate to Swift, um, I, I was obviously a lot better as a developer. So that was part of the motivation. Yeah. The second motivation was um, something new to learn, and it seemed like a a sensible thing to do given that that's clearly the direction Apple wants you to go in. Yeah. So um, I just started off really going class by class. Um, 
going through the app, rewriting in Swift. Um, and there were certain certain smaller areas of the app that I could start with in that regard. Um, so you just do one class at a time and then on to the next and on to the next. And that, that was great for kind of finding my feet in Swift. Yeah. Um, and then I did a slightly more substantial rewrite um, probably about three months down the road where the whole lot went to went to Swift. Minus the app delegate. I haven't touched that. That's still an Objective C. <laughs> that can say an Objective C for now. That's that's absolutely fine. There's nothing. I don't feel I've got a huge amount to be gained by doing that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my, the process for me was reasonably uh, straightforward. Um, when when I started with porting the engine over and making a framework out of it, um, I did a very similar sort of process, um, and that was that was quite straightforward in the end. Once I sort of got into the riff of, you know, kind of looking at the Objective-C code and doing the Swift rewrite. Um, you do it for a couple of classes, a couple of objects, and eventually you, know, you sort of get in a rhythm. Yep. Um, I mean, in this case, is there, there is that element of sort of similar to yourself in terms of saying, okay, I'm a better developer now. There are things that I did originally that I'd like to, to do differently now. Um, and so part of the reasoning for me wanting to, to sort of clean house with this app um, is to kind of you know, write some of those those wrongs within the code base. Um, they're not wrongs; it works, you know, um, and and it's what enabled me to to ship back in 2015. Um, but if I'm going to start improving the app and going on into additional features for sort of the the next big version, um, this this is some of the work that needs to be done first. Was there a lot of uh, refactoring that you had to do with with the engine? You... Yeah, um, yeah. There there was a fair bit of refactoring. Um, there were certain things that the code was doing that um, was almost duplicated functionality, um, and I kind of consolidated things into sort of more core classes. Um, took advantage of some of the way that Swift enables you to extend as well. Um, and I've, I've sort of brought in extensions and protocols to kind of make the code look a little bit more sane. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, there's, for a small engine, there is a fair amount going on in there in terms of how it sort of brings the shaders in and applies them to the, the OpenGL textures. Um, and I had to do sort of a bit to rationalize the effect system within it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but a lot of that work is now done. And I, I literally just need to bring it back into the original app. Um, it's just that because of that refactoring, it's not a drag and drop. It's not a direct replacement for the original Objective-C code anymore. So, yeah, I've, I've, I've wound up in a, a position where what I'm doing now is I, I've actually um, set this up as a clean house, started a new project, started it completely in Swift. Um, I've brought the framework in from moment go. And right now what I'm doing is porting the, the general UI of the app back in. So it's, it's storyboard-based. Um, I've brought objects out of the original storyboard in, and I'm now wiring them back up to their, um, to their classes. So I didn't bring any of the code in from the original code base. Um, but what I'm doing is I'm now bringing class-by-class class wiring up the UI, Okay. Um, yeah. So I'm creating, recreating those classes in Swift three, 
Um, and as I do that, I'm now porting the Objective C code um, over to Swift three into the clean house. Um, it feels like the long way around to do it, the sort of long way of doing this. Um, but I think the end result is going to be that I have a clean objective, um, a clean Swift three rather. <laughs> let's get this right. Um, yeah, okay. a clean Swift project. Um, that I can then sort of start adding new features to um, without adding more code that I don't want. I don't want to be adding Objective-C code only to have to remove it again down the line. Um, so it sort of gives me a better better base to iterate from for the next version. It feels good as well, right, having a nice clean project. Yeah, yeah, it does. The whole process <laughs> of doing this and refactoring this means that me as the developer I am now, I can kind of understand my code even better um, and have a proper grip of sort of, you know, are things linking together in the way that I want them to be? Um, some of that initial development was, was very much sort of figuring things out for the first time. Yeah. Um, and, and I know now that there are better ways of doing certain things, better paradigms to have within the, the code itself. It's, yeah, it sounds like we've been on very similar journeys in that regard. I'm so glad I did it. It took me, um, yeah, like you say, it took a bit of time and it feels like I constantly had to justify to myself why I was doing it because I was kind of sat here thinking I don't have a huge amount of time really for this um, indie work and I'm using it doing this. Yep. So I, I had to constantly say to myself, no, this is going to be worth it. You're playing the long game here. It's, um, I mean, that's something I struggle with generally, kind of justifying to myself what I'm doing. Um wondering whether I've made the right choice with my time and the feature that I'm working on, yep. which is probably a, dis- a whole whole other discussion we should have at some point. Um, at the time, certainly doing the Swift rewrite didn't didn't feel the greatest. No. Um, I, I felt like that looking with, back on with it. Um, bringing the framework over um, at the back end of the summer, I felt very, very similar. Um, yeah, it's one, it's one of those that maybe your users will never, ever notice. Um and then you think, well, why? Why am I? You know, it works. Why don't I add new features? But I, I th- you know, longer term, playing the long game, def- definitely worth it for, for me at least. And I suspect you're going to have the same outcome as well. I think so. Um, I think again, I've got limited time. Um, certainly, it's it's looking like you know my my indie development is potentially going to be my side gig again rather than full time. Um, and with that in mind. You know, does Dave in 2018, 2019 want to be navigating around old Objective-C code that I've kind of forgotten about? Um, yeah. Probably not. So this investment now is is actually potentially going to help me down the line just in terms of I'll be solidly in one language and that then enables me to be just that little bit quicker when I'm navigating my code and doing updates, adding features. Um, yeah, it's a grind right now, but... As long as Swift four isn't too hideously different to Swift three, <laughs> then then hopefully it sort of pays off. Well, I think now is a sensible time to invest in yourself to become sort of a, an expert in Swift. Uh, I think the time's about right now. Uh, maybe when it was Swift one point probably best to have stayed on the fence. Um, yeah. I certainly watched with interest during that time. Um, I mean, I read a lot of the Apple. Uh, they released that book, didn't they? Uh, is it the Swift programming language? Yep. Um, 
you know, I, I read quite a bit of that, um, took an interest in the language, but I, I, I didn't dare start using it in my apps. Um, but now, now I think, uh, yeah, things are starting to really you know, look good for the language and it's got to be a good thing to really know it, really understand it. Um, and this rewrite for me has been a, a big part of that. Yep. Yep. I think it is absolutely the right time to sort of be doing this sort of work really. Um, if you think about it as well, we're in that period ahead of WWDC and the next round of um, OS releases and iteration. And we've got you know, a good bit of time between now and June. Um, so just in terms of timing for, for that, it's probably a very good time to be doing this sort of rewrite and this sort of update. Um, sort of paying off some technical debt. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and again, yeah. it pays dividends then, so you're in... I'll be by the time June rolls round, I'll be in a fully swift world with all of my code. Um and then if I've got to go Swift three to Swift four, hopefully that's not gonna be sort of too much of a jump. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um and then that means I can just start thinking about what the new frameworks are and, and you know, what opportunities there are rather than having to worry about, like you say, the technical debt within the code that I've got. Yeah, you'll be in a position to look forward as opposed to worrying about what's behind you. Yeah. Okay, so it's been great talking with you, Dave. Um, just to wrap this show up, um, where can I find you on the internet? Where can our listeners find you? I'm on Twitter, um, at underscore Dave Not. Um, if you want to see the apps I make, you can go to www.rootdigital.com. That's root-digital.com, I should have said. So it's r-o-o-t-digital.com. Awesome. What about you? Um, you can find me over on Twitter at... DW Robo Heads, that's Robo Heads with a Z. Um, or you can find me online at davewood.uk.